welcome to the panel, RNZ National. Happy Friday. Lovely, as always, to have your company. And gosh, we are... We have your company, you are listening in, and you are talking all about Alan Blackman. That's what you are talking about. Spot on, <laughs> Alan Blackman. I'm with you all the way regarding your bugbears. <laughs> I hope you get another invitation to be on the panel. No invitation. Go, Alan Blackman. It's great to hear some correction of bad manner, which frequently occurs in RNZ. Wallace, please organise us a job at RNZ for that man. Whoops, sorry, organise. Um, um, but uh, not everyone's happy. People are saying that language evolves and changes, and Alan Blackman just has no clue. Uh, and regarding the... <laughs> uh, not my words. Not my words. Uh, and regarding the castle, rolling through, extraordinary. Uh, probably the most popular quote there is, How's the Serenity? Uh, Linda and Wellington says, My late husband's favourite movie, quote, The Deep, Deep Peace of the Two-Stroke Motor. Uh, feel the serenity and we're back there if they zoom around in a boat. My favourites both quoted regularly in my family. We are going to be talking about uh, actually the legal aspect of this extraordinary movie, 25 years on, with an honorary professor from the University Queensland Law School uh, toward the end of the programme. Following the vaccine mandate changes, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced earlier this week many who lost their jobs for refusing to get vaxxed are wondering whether they could now be rehired. While mandates remain for health and aged care corrections and border workers, mandates will be dropped for those in education, police and defence forces and businesses using vaccine passes. So are those who were let go entitled to their old jobs? Tell us more. We are joined by... Uh, Dryberg Drayton employment lawyer Jordan Boyle. Boyle. Kia ora, Jordan. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you going? Good, thank you. So, look, needless to say, it's going to affect really quite just very few people, isn't it? But uh, on that, though, what is conf- causing the confusion here, if there is confusion? Well, I guess the feeling for these people is I was terminated for not being vaccinated, so now that's not an issue. So can I have my job back? Am I entitled to it? Mm. So here's a scenario. Uh, A new person has been recruited to replace a worker that has left because of vaccine mandates. Can that person get their job back? Short answer is no. They don't have any legal entitlement to get their job back if the employment has been terminated. Basically, once that's been done, it's been done. The employment relationship is no longer on foot. You don't have good faith obligations towards each other, so the employer has no obligation to offer that person their job back. Okay. Uh, Under what circumstances could an unvaccinated worker be rehired? (laughs) So I guess the first question is, has the employment actually ended? Some people may still be working out their notice period. They may be working from home. In those circumstances, they would have a pretty good argument that they would be entitled to their job back because the substantive reason for them not having a job no longer exists with vaccine mandates no longer applying to them. Uh, If that's not the case, if their employment relationship has ended, they'd be more than welcome to approach the employer and ask if they could have their job back. Employers don't have an obligation to, but in sectors like hospitality where they may be struggling for workers, they may be... Mm willing to hire these people back now that they don't have to be vaccinated to have that role if they were a good worker. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, do you expect to be working on cases like this? 
certainly we're seeing a few people whose employment wasn't yet terminated work, working through their notice period now wanting to keep working now that the vaccine mandates no, no longer apply. And I think it's a, a big question on the minds of those people whose employment was terminated and, and haven't been working, um, whether they can get their jobs back. But certainly no obligation, but it doesn't stop them challenging their dismissal on other grounds. So obviously the one substantive reason for vaccine mandates is one part of it. They may have other concerns about how the process was undertaken by the uh, employer would be entitled yeah. to raise a personal grievance on that basis. And an employer may welcome them back just in order to mitigate any loss that that person suffered. Right. Uh, we've got a panel with us, uh, Jordan. Uh, Jenny Morton, let's bring you in. Yeah, well, what struck me is, is you know, your your job is terminated. Surely then your employment is over. And as you said, it's it's if they're still working out the um, the notice period but i i just don't understand how it could be turned around um if if it was a legal dismissal how can it be turned around and and turned backwards now so absolutely so that's a really important thing is the basis for the dismissal is analyzed at the time the decision was made and at the time the decision was made the vaccine mandate was in place and so the substantive justification was there so that's you couldn't challenge it now on the basis that vaccine mandates are no longer in place, and therefore they have to hire you back because oh. it's analysed at the relevant time. Okay, so anybody out there uh, going through this and uh, thinking that, no, you can't, you can't challenge that aspect of it. No, and mm. I mean, we've seen it in the case of the, there's been a couple of high-profile cases of customs workers and healthcare workers challenging the vaccination mandates, which were upheld in the High Court. And then when those cases have been analysed in the employment sphere, the Employment Relations Authority has said, well, no, that the mandates were legal. Um, we don't have the ability to change the law or challenge the law in the employment relations sphere. That's up to the other courts and the government. So if an employer is relying on something that's legal at the time, they're entitled to do so. All right, Alan. Yeah, I guess this is sort of the same thing but um you know being at a university we are currently are banning unvaccinated students from campus at the moment so there's a lot of online teaching going on um and i think that is set to change um possibly after the mid-semester break um and then this has sort of implications, I guess, with schools as well, because um, in the article that was quoted, uh, Chris Hipkins was saying that um, schools could possibly um, still have the mandate, they could still enforce the mandate if they've got immuno immunocompromised children, and then went on to say that they need to get good legal advice as they're making any such decisions. And it seems to me that the government's sort of passing the buck here. Um, and, you know, why should schools then have to go to the expense of getting legal advice to see whether or not they can continue this mandate? It just, just doesn't seem a, a great use of public money to me. Yeah, what's your thoughts around that, Jordan? Well, obviously, that situation they're talking about is when there's no legal order in place, a business or organisation undertaking its own health and safety risk assessment and determining that a person that needs to work in that role needs to be vaccinated. Um, as we've seen with the data around Omicron in particular, vaccines are less effective against transmission, so that wouldn't necessarily be a justifiable reason for implementing a vaccine mandate. Um, working with vulnerable people and protecting those people 
and preventing them from getting severely infected could be a justifiable reason for putting in place a private vaccine mandate, shall we call it, even if it was done by a school. Um, I can't really speak to the policy decision behind that, but no. the government has their reasons for not applying the mandates to schools any longer. Good on you, Jordan. Thank you for that, uh, and I uh, appreciate you being with us uh, this afternoon. Uh, that is... Uh Dryberg Drayton employment lawyer uh, Jordan Boyle and of course it's going to affect uh, you know very few people but nonetheless um, it's quite an interesting topic actually you could uh, you're also wondering too uh, Jenny if a worker was rehired um, I wonder if you'd expect uh, they might run into other follow-on issues you know conflicts with other staff uh, and that type of thing yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, we are in a, in a full employment economy at the moment and there is a skill shortage yeah. um, and there is the, also the great resignation phenomenon, which is being talked about, where people are resigning from jobs because they're feeling dissatisfied in great numbers around the world. But you'd think that an employer would want a good employee back. So, you know, if you're not being asked to come back and there's still a space in the um, in the firm that you're working for, you might ask yourself why. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Alan Blackman, Jenny Morden with me this afternoon, rolling and regarding grammar. Uh, now they want to give Alan Blackman a knighthood. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> go quite that far, quite frankly. Um, I agree with Alan, but he's wrong about uh, kilometre. The ometers, a gasometer, odometer and other things. No, 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 no. Kilometer, kilogram, (laughs) kiloton, and other thousands are pronounced alike, says Ken. No, no, no. A a, a gasometer, that's a a meter for measuring things. Okay, that's a meter that's used for measuring things. I'm talking about a meter that is the basis of the unit of length. Two totally different things. I'm right. Okay, 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 Uh, and regarding the castle, on leaving the lawyer's office yesterday, I turned to my husband and I said, it's all about the vibe. The castle really does live on. We discussed that uh, in the next half of the program. It is 18 past four, the panel. A strategy released today hopes to improve literacy and maths outcomes. The Literacy, Communication and Math Strategy and Heirokura Mō Te Mokopuna would help address barriers some New Zealand children faced while learning, Minister Hipkins said. Now, the maths and literacy achievement rates of 15-year-olds have been declining for around 20 years, according to an OECD report. We had Dr Nina Hood from the Education Hub on the panel uh, the other day saying that nearly one in five 15-year-olds are not even meeting the lowest benchmark for reading, and a further 20% are only achieving at the most basic level. She said it shocked her. With us this afternoon is Principal of Kaiapoi North School, Jason Miles, who's also the New Zealand Principals Federation Vice President and has had a long interest around uh, literacy issues. Jason, kia ora. Nice to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you today? Oh, I'm very well, thank you, Jason. Now, thanks for being with us. And I want to ask you, so um, in terms of this announcement at this moment in time, what does it mean to you? Well, it's pretty clear that we need a transformation in literacy and, and maths teaching and, and learning in New Zealand. The uh, achievement results that you mentioned before point to that. Um, what we haven't had is a, is a clear direction from our, our government or Ministry of Education about what needs to be explicitly taught in New Zealand schools for uh, literacy and numeracy. 
What have you yourself, uh, Jason, experienced regarding literacy levels? Well, we we were banging our head against the wall. You know, we've got great teachers at our school, like we have right through New Zealand, mm. and we found that our our results weren't weren't shifting. Um, so what we did is we went to the research, um, the international research, and also research through Massey University, um, and looked at what we really needed to do to support all learners and and how we're teaching reading in particular. And how did you go about it? What programs or programs did you did you put in place, and what were the results? Uh, it's not a program; it's an approach, so it's yes. a framework, which um, is called structured literacy. So there's a lot of research about how the brain learns to read, and it is in a systematic way. So it needs to be explicit and uh, structured, um, so that the children can learn the the basic. Um, uh, units of sound and move move their way up. Structured literacy and h- how did you find the uh, the children um, uh, responded to it? Oh, they responded really positively because for the first time they could um, understand and look at a a, a letter and, a, and some blends and then some words and actually know how how to solve those those words mm. rather than looking at pictures and, and taking guesses. Gosh, yeah. Jenny? Oh, look, I find this all very interesting because mm. I'm the mother of um, two dyslexic sons. Mm. And, you know, learning at school was hard, really hard for them, and and just destroyed confidence, really. Um, you know, you've got smart kids who are led to believe they're not smart because the system oh. just doesn't cater for the children with learning differences. And I think that's what it is, is lots of children whether it's cultural or whether they have specific Mm. learning difficulties they just learn differently and Mm. often too when they get to high school they might the teachers might try and accommodate those learning differences and teach them in a different way but when it comes to assessment they're all assessed in the same way and it's a reading writing mathematical based system that often doesn't allow children to show the level of knowledge that they actually have and, and mm-hmm. it, it just, oh, it, it's something that actually winds me up quite a bit because <laughs> I just saw kids just struggle for so many years and, yeah. and they're, you know, they've gone on and they're doing interesting things in their lives, but it's, it's a tough struggle when you learn differently in, in a standardised system. What do you make of that, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about building those strong foundation skills. And the structured literacy approach that we use um, is fantastic for dyslexic children, um, but it's it's wonderful for all children because it, it gives them those really strong foundation skills to look, to be able to um, solve words, so word recognition, and then that leads through to language comprehension, vocab, and being a skilled reader. But to to make sure that children have really strong foundation skills and how they they can read, learn to read, is so important because you know you you think of mm. not being able to read as an adult. You know it, it just shuts a lot of doors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, parts of our wider Fano, the Chapman family, there were people who, uh, well, actually, you know, couldn't read as an adult, uh, and. You know, me as an eight-year-old looking at, uh, you know, family members who really struggle with reading and I found it very, very sad and it's, and it really sort of thought how would it be 
that challenge of going into life, Alan, and actually uh, having to look at a sign or ha- actually having to remember signs so you could get uh, through your life. What do you make yeah. of this? Yeah, well, you know, I, I really see it every day. Um, yeah. I'm sort of at the the forefront of things being in the education sector. And, you know, obviously our standards have been declining for the last 20 years. So what we're currently doing isn't working. Simple as that. And, you know, 20 years is just about, you know, the length of time that we've had NCEA, dare I suggest. Um, And... (sighs) So what do you see? Tell me what you see. Okay, so I, I get students who come to university who do not know how to use a calculator. Okay, they can't use a calculator, and you know that's that's. Hang on, you're a chemistry professor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we do we do all sorts of calculations and stuff like that. Chemistry is very mathematical. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so that's you know how can you come to university and not know how to use a calculator? How can you come to university and not know, for example, what a verb is or what a noun is? You know, I'm I'm Mm. I'm I'm on and on about the Mm. English thing, but. You know, and I see that every day. And these kids are going to go on and, you know, some of them are going to have to write theses down the track somewhere. And they don't know this. So, you know, and, and that, that fact about one in five um, 15-year-olds who can't read. I mean, that's, that's just utterly appalling. Um, and I think really what we need to do is, and, and I'll get pilloried for this, but you need to make teaching an elite profession. And to get into teaching, you're going to have to at least have some sort of a master's qualification. But hang on, hang on. Pay the teachers, pay the teachers double. Let's get Jason to respond. Let's get Jason to respond to that because is that just putting all the blame solely on the teachers? What do you hear there, Jason? No, 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 no. no, no, no. That's not what I'm. Yeah, no. I think I think what what we need to be clear is that that we've got fantastic teachers who who are in the job because they want to make a difference and they are Absolutely. working as hard, as hard as they can. The, the yep. problem is that, that right from the initial teacher education, it's not explicit how um, we should be teaching um, reading, writing and maths um, with an evidence-based, researched uh, approach. And this is what has led to um, a lot of confusion um, across uh, schools and, and educators. Um, once you know what, what you need to know about how the brain um, learns to read, it, it's a very um, enlightening process for our, our teachers and they feel confident and we can see the progress and the confidence of the children. Um, it, it's, it's allowing our children to come to school with their shoulders back. They, they know how to um, decode words, which leads to them being able to comprehend um, what they're reading. And it, it just makes such a difference to, to the attendance levels and the engagement of our children. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the educational literature which you're relying on for all of this, to me, dare I say it, it's like the nutrition literature. One day coffee's good for you, the next day coffee's bad for you. You can see, you know, there's, there's opposite examples in the educational literature for everything. And, and, you know, just picking this one way of doing things and saying, right, that's the way that we're going to do it, I think is extraordinarily dangerous. Yeah, there, there are different approaches that you can use, but for foundation skills, it's very clear what sh- what works for children and and learning and their first steps to to learning to read. Um, well, we, once they have those, it is it is um, a variety of approaches that will help children to comprehend um, what they're reading. But things that are so important, those foundation skills. Um, the brain learns to read in, in, in one way, and yeah. um, the structured literacy helps us with that. 
And what worked for me in those yeah. foundational skills, sorry, was rote learning, was times tables, the alphabet, numbers, all of that stuff, which seems now to be frowned upon by the educationalists. Yeah. Rote learning. Um, uh, maybe you're getting a bit off topic, Jason. Uh, we're, we're actually going to come back to structured literacy. I wanted to talk about structured literacy next week, actually. But uh, rote learning, um, that's pretty old school. Is there still a place for rote learning, Jason? Oh, look, children learn in different ways. And, yeah. and, and for some children, that, that may be the tool that, that um, makes it click for them. But it's certainly not the first approach that we, that we use. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't want to go too much further down that track. Hey, kia ora, Jason. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for taking the time for us. That is uh, Jason Miles, uh, the principal of Kaiapoi North, uh, also the uh, New Zealand Principals Federation Vice President. And just uh, on, uh, you know, your experience, you you must have been really um, uh, experienced this issue for some years, Jenny, uh, mm-hmm. Learning how to learning how to navigate that path of reading the best approach for your children, that type of thing. It must have been quite 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 the um, I guess the challenge. It is challenging, and especially as um, as a parent, when I'm not a teacher, I don't know how to teach. And you know, Alan, you talk about rote learning, but I'll tell you what: with dyslexic kids, rote learning doesn't work. They can't learn that, you know, the times table thing. They can't learn that repeated thing. It, it doesn't work for them. So you have to teach them, I don't know, tools and skills. But as a parent, it's it's incredibly frustrating to see your children struggling. And it, the funniest thing is that my youngest one actually really liked chemistry at um, high school and would have looked at taking it for an NCEA subject, except that the assessment was an end of year exam. And just about oh, yeah. everything rested on that one exam at the end of the year. Oh. And that was like, that's just high risk. You can't, you can't put all your eggs in that one basket of, and, and yet he loved it and he loved it. And he had this great um, tutor for actually for maths, I think it was, but she was a chemistry teacher and he loved all the things that she could show him and, and he could demonstrate things, but he couldn't have sat down and put all the words in an exam. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's, oh, that's tough. That's really tough. Final thought, Alan? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, absolutely right. People learn in different ways. They absolutely do. Um, but I, I, I really am, I really think it's important, the whole teaching profession, um, make it make it a job that people really really want to get it make it competitive like medicine or something like that you know that make it restricted entry but also or, or, pay or the teachers. oh yeah. no no that's what, I, that's what i'm teachers. saying pay, pay them double straight away if, if yeah. you're a teacher you yeah. can't earn six figures in this country it's we madness. are going to come back to this we have had so much response to this issue uh and we've just got to come back to it uh and really focus perhaps on structured uh, literacy uh, in schools. So kia ora to you all for listening uh, on your response, your feedback, a lot of response regarding Jenny's uh, points of view and Alan's. Uh, you are on the panel, RNZ National, uh, Alan Blackman and Jenny Morden.